0: Welcome to the Christian Coach Podcast, where our mission is to serve coaches through conversations so they can lead like Jesus. I am Gian Lemmy, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chad Simpson. Hey, Gian. Chad, I've been here at Liberty with the women's tennis team for nine years.
1: I've been the head tennis coach down at Point University down in Georgia for seven years.
0: We decided to start this podcast because we wanted to grow as leaders, as men, as coaches, and we thought, what better way to do that than to have conversations with other Christian coaches who are going through the same journey? And maybe we can learn a few things from them. And we also wanted to share with the world so that other people can can grow and start and continue to learn and serve like Jesus.
1: Um, I can't believe I can't believe it. We're we're in our thirteenth episode already. And uh, my biggest takeaway so far is just seeing how so many coaches and leaders have been willing to just share their time and uh, they've really shown me Christ in them, and the fact that they're, they're just willing to jump on these conversations and, and chat with us. And uh, you know, a great example of that is just Todd Gongwer being willing to come on and, and talk to us, uh, being a pretty new podcast. And uh, i so thankful that you were able to sit down with him and, uh, and have this conversation.
0: Yeah, very thankful for Todd and the time he took in the middle of a bunch of Zoom calls that he does. Um, But if you don't know Todd, Todd is famous for writing the book Lead for God's Sake. Um, And that's a book that even it has impacted our lives, Chad, but also has impacted a lot of the speakers that we've talked to already in our podcast. So we decided
1: it's been been their their number one that they're recommending.
0: Yeah. So we decided to bring uh, Todd on and have a deeper conversation with him. And if you don't know who Todd is, Todd was a college coach for 10 years. Um and then he also worked in the corporate world. Um I believe his family had a business w- with him growing up so he he lived in both both worlds the the corporate world as well as the college athletics world and his book is all about that. Um and now he currently speaks and coaches other athletic programs as well as companies. So he works with UVA basketball, Clemson football as well as Chick-fil-A. So he's impacting the world for Christ in many different ways. Um, and coach we talked about the impact of social media in teenagers nowadays the importance of having a, a support group and a little bit he talked he talked about um, the difference between hard work and balancing family and his job so um, coach this is the interview and we can't wait to share it with you right now Todd Gongworth, thank you so much for being on the Christian Coach Podcast. We like to start our conversations with a power question, and that is, what does it mean to you to be a Christian coach?
2: Oh, that's a great question. And thank you, Gian, for having me on here, first and foremost. But, um, you know, to be a Christian coach, I think is, um, you know, I always say our, our leadership is about influence. And the reason I guess I'm so passionate about even um, encouraging coaches and other leaders in that subject is because our call as Christians is about influence. I mean, really, every one of us, that's where it starts. And I really believe when Jesus called the disciples, it was like, hey, follow me, I'm gonna make you fishers of men, he could have very easily said, I'm going to show you the right way to influence others. I want to show you how to, that how to help you let your light so shine so shines that they see your good work and glorify your father in heaven, ultimately wanting what I want. And I think as a coach, um, the beauty of that, you know, the beauty of coaching is there's an emotional aspect that's inherently a part of everything we're doing. And there are so many other things with commitment and dedication and selflessness and hard work and all those things that come into play with the emotional aspect that I just think coaches have an amazing opportunity to build deeper bonds. And so from a from a Christian perspective, I think you have an amazing opportunity to impact the heart in a deep way eternally. So um, yeah, that opportunity to, to impact the heart as a coach should be there for anyone, but particularly as a Christian, um, knowing that, hey, man, if, if I don't impact eternally, I've missed it. So that's, that's it.
0: Yeah, so good. Thank you. Um, I listened to a an interview that you did with Jason Romano, where you said that you're supposed to turn fifty during the pandemic, but that you're holding back. Are you still, are you still forty-nine, or did yeah. you end up turning 50? Yeah, I, no, I, you I, fifty? Yeah, you know what
2: I said. I made the statement indefinitely. You know, we were <laughs> we were postponing indefinitely, and and so, you know, even though we're I don't know seven months in now, whatever it is, um, six months in. I still think I'm going to hold right here at 49 and, uh, we'll celebrate 50 some other time. So, okay. Can you, can you take us back
0: to your childhood and your upbringing and how did you get to 49 now? And maybe how even, um, you, you got to know the Lord.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So, um, you know, I grew up in a, in a small town, um, you know, in the middle of nowhere, Waukerusa, Indiana. And, um, I actually um, grew up going to church every Sunday, every Wednesday, I mean, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I mean, we were, um, we we didn't miss very many church services. So I grew up in a, a very fortunate, grew up in a Christian home, both parents really, um, you know, just absolutely awesome parents that still to this day, I'm thankful I still have them and have an amazing relationship with them. So very, very blessed there. Um, and became a Christian, you know, as a young man, but but really, um, you know, I think sometimes when we live, in, and especially for me, I mean, kind of a, I was in a throwback community where, you know, like, the values, the Christian values that are biblical are pretty much the values, and were especially back then, the values of everybody. I mean, like, you just don't lie, you don't cheat, you don't, you know, I mean, like the common ones. So grew up in and around that, but it wasn't until really um, into my um, early twenties that i that I really, really uh, got serious about my relationship with Christ, really came to understand the the deeper, you know really even going with the book, the difference between kind of the fear of God and just this God that's this hatchet, you can't do this, can't do this, or the the reward reward, you know, trying to work your way to get this and this um, versus. It's about a relationship with Christ, and so it wasn't until really, um, you know, in my twenties, early twenties, that I started to see that more and and pursue that more. And then, interestingly enough, uh, it wasn't until my early thirties until I actually kind of had the the eye opening experience on purpose and why we're here, and really, I, I would call it another level of relationship—not only a relationship with Christ, but how central to that relationship is all of the relationships that he's put around us and living a life that doesn't compromise those relationships, doesn't come, you know, pursuits that don't come at the expense of those relationships. Cause that's, that's central to our call here on earth. So my whole life, um, you know, four family of four boys, really competitive, like, you know, just typical boys running around doing all kinds of stuff, all very different, uh, in our own right, in terms of our loves, but, um, still very interesting household family business. Um, my dad worked a lot, taught us a lot about work ethic and, and running an honest business and, you know, commitment, dedication, things like that. My mom, um, is a saint, not only because she's raised four boys, but she is, uh, just an unbelievably strong spiritual, um, guidance in my was it was a strong spiritual guide, and my dad was too just in a different way so but mom is like just heart of gold and so i had kind of the driving business side on one side and the oh honey but you gotta love people you gotta love 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 you know so it was a good mix growing up there was a little bit of a balance there
0: that's good a little bit of both worlds yeah for sure (laughs) um talking about relationships um in your acknowledgement section um i've learned Here in the last few years that you should really read the acknowledgement section not many people actually do because then you get to know who that person really is and what kind of people impacted that the author um so when i was reading your acknowledgement i noticed that you mentioned a lot of names um and mainly a group of guys that you've surrounded yourself with um that read the, the first few chapters of the book the early drafts but also that it looks like you do life with them in a consistent basis like how important is it for everyone to have a group of people around them as we go through life
2: and yeah that's such a that's such a great question and, and powerful um in terms of importance that topic right there i think is so missing in society i mean like nowadays with social media the way it is and we, even with a lot of the way our jobs are you know we're, we're a mile miles wide and just fraction of an inch deep anymore in terms of our relationships and a lot of times we we base somebody's success really on that you know how many followers do you have how many people do you have that you you know and and it's not that it's bad to reach you know masses of people in certain instances but having a core group a core foundation of people that you really can be honest with that will hold each other accountable you know kind of the joes that you surround yourself with in life and there's no doubt a lot of the people that were mentioned in there. And in fact, there's, there's a number of the guys that I have, you know, I meet every Saturday morning. Um, we meet at 712, both, you know, really kind of significant biblical numbers, but we meet at 712 AM every Saturday morning in my office. And there's really no agenda. Um, we, we try to solve some of the world's problems usually, but we, we, we talk about prayer requests, what we're battling in our families, and as dads, husbands, and um, leaders in businesses, and um, we pray for each other, and so, you know, a lot of times we'll talk about different scriptures, you know, but but it's just really, it's very, very uh, informal, just a bunch of, you know, seven guys, six, seven guys that get together every Saturday morning, and, and come alongside each other, you know, group text, praying for each other, something's going on, and and even those guys, like in the journey that I'm on, where I'm traveling around the country, where I'm I'm put in a position a lot where all of a sudden I'm speaking in front of a group, and I take it like very, very seriously as a I want nothing but truth. I am I, I do not ever want to lead anyone astray. I I so for me, people praying for me when I'm speaking, even in in 80% of the time my talks and 80% of my work is in. Public, inst- public institutions, biz- you know public companies, things like that, small small portion are in churches or Christian yeah. schools. Um, I love going to those by the way. so I need to get back to liberty one of these days because then I can completely say everything yeah. of, you know but at the same time, you know going back to that group of people that we have that we can connect with on a regular basis and pray for, pray with and have there as you know people that we know, they're praying for us in those times yeah and uh, now more than ever i think as we as we're in the times that we're in as a country um there's so much divisiveness the enemy is wreaking havoc in so many ways and um now more than ever we just we need to be joining up with christian brothers and sisters and um praying with each other opening our hearts and, and talking through these things in a loving, humble, empathetic way, and uh, figuring out ways we can get out and expand our love and, and uh, the gospel more than anything else. Yeah.
0: Um, is that the reason for the, the name of the book, Lead for God's Sake, obviously has two meanings there. Um, was that on purpose so that it could open doors, not just in the Christian arena, but also in the public sector?
2: Yeah, it's interesting you say that, John, because I I, that, came out like like a year and a half before I wrote the book I felt like I was called to write it but I really when that title was laid on my heart I was kind of like what's the book going to be about like (laughs) what does that mean how do that that's a great name but what's because there's different you know yeah and as it turns out I mean like I said I I never even intended when I had the name I never knew that it was going to be a parable and um so when the story unfolded like it did and came out how it did and followed that pattern of it, it, you know, you can say it both ways. And it was said both ways. There's no doubt. I mean, like I just, you know, it was, a, it was kind of a God thing and it does. I hear from people all the time from all different walks of life, all different you know, places in their, in their faith journey. I mean, one of the coolest things about this book is how many different, I mean, I've had amazing conversations with agnostics, uh, people that are Orthodox Jew, um, you know, Baptist, Lutheran, Christian, missionary, Presbyterian. I mean, I've spoken about every yeah. different denomination, sect, church you could imagine. And the cool thing about the message—it's not that—that that, again, I don't want to give the wrong impression. Yeah, there's a foundation, as you know. There's a found the foundation of truth is in yeah. that. And so, yeah. but it is done in a way that what people mostly tell me is like wow it meets you where you are it meets you where you are and says you need to rethink a little bit more about the relationship this relationship thing and where your relationship is with regards to why you're here on this earth why god Mm -hmm. has you here and you know again what your relationship is with with him and all those he's put in your life so yeah yeah, I think the name. There's no doubt. It was all part of the craziness yeah. of how it came out. So it,
0: yeah, it definitely met me where I was when I read it um, in my early uh, coaching journey. Um, yeah. So I was. I'm very thankful for that book. Um, you're also passionate about the effects of social media in today's teens and um, yes. society in general. You know, I just learned a few weeks ago that in, in Instagram, people are looking at ratios. And I'm like, what is a ratio? It's like, oh, it's I have a 1000 followers, I get 10 likes. That's a bad ratio. Like their kids are look, doing math to see how much worth they have, you know, and that to me just breaks my heart. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? And maybe give us a few tips as coaches and parents and leaders on how can we help today's
2: Teens handle social media in a healthy way. Yeah, um, yeah, you're you're right. It, it's funny because about you know five years ago is when I kind of started the journey of really, and and it started out. I started getting questions from a lot of different coaches, and the first the first thing that I started, and again, you know, the the kind of unusual part of my journey is I'm working with like coaches from every sport. So men's, women's, softball, tennis, you know, baseball, basketball, soccer, whatever. And the, there was a common theme that I started hearing a lot of like, wow, these kids are changing and like more than they've changed in the last 30 years, yeah. in the last just three or four years. And I started hearing that more and more. And I was like, wait a minute, you know, and the old saying is, well, wow, kids haven't changed, parents have changed, you know. <laughs> And it's like, okay, there's, there's truth to that. But wait a minute, you guys, what's going on here? Is there something bigger? And so I, you know, I literally, because I heard it so much, I started doing a lot more research and, and continued to even do my own research as I was talking to teams and coaches. And there is no doubt. I mean, when you look at the effects of you know, the things that started, so the smartphone was released in 2008. I think 2012 was the year that 50% of teens owned a smartphone that happened to be, this is a common stat, but that happened to be the same year that the teen suicide rate spiked higher than it has in any other generation in a year. Now, people are like, well, maybe that, that doesn't have to be. Well, it, it may not be the reason, yeah. but yeah. it just seems ironic that, you know, and because when you look at what it does and the effects of it, And the things that I teach are, you know, number one, communication, uh, confronting kids, kids struggle confronting each other, attention, focus, kids really struggle. We all do.
1: So it's affecting us.
2: But the pre-adolescent brain, pre-developed brain, you know, which is developing all the way up to 26, we don't know what the effects of that's going to be because it's so much more malleable at that stage of life than my 50-year-old brain is. So focus, um, working memory, because focus is such a big part of working memory. Abstract thinking. This is one that really concerns me because, particularly because of my faith. My faith is an abstract, it, it begins with an abstract thought. You know what I mean? Like it is, it's a, it's not a concrete, you have to be able to go beyond like, what's right here and think beyond that. And we need to do that in all kinds of things. And what they're saying is, is like the quick scrolling, quick switching from this and this and this is really, it's basically um, inhibiting the brain's development because in the areas of, you know, depth. So we're moving to something new so quickly. We're not thinking beyond the headline, which how scary is that when you consider what, 99% ninety nine percent of media sources do with headlines. Yeah. they are designed specifically to grab you and so not to give you truth, not to inform you of anything relevant you know, but to grab you yeah. because eyeballs now are money. Yeah. and that's what the race is for. so you know that's a big concern, and the agenda you know I tell and and when I teach it. I actually teach it um, under the guise of, uh, or or the auspices, I should say, of of, um, digital media. And so, and the reason I do that is because it's infiltrated, like, you're getting the same, you're getting a lot of the same effects on the TV shows that we're watching, the movies, the videos that we're watching, the video games that we're playing, the music that we're listening to 30, 40 hours a week on average of. And again, I mean anything that anything that goes into the emotive part of the brain, it's a fact that it it that goes deeper. You go into the hippocampus and all these like it it goes deeper when we're because we're we're just way more emotive than we are cognitive in terms of just quick learning stuff. So music taps the emotion. So when you're constantly listening to a to a song, all week long, that is that happens to be continuously telling you, you know, the sexual innuendos or the hate hatred that is, all of the things that are common. It's like, I mean, I, I remember, I, want, I and and I'm I still, I mean, I love all kinds of music. Yeah. But the reality is, music is is having an impact on your brain, and so, for me, yeah. all of these things are are impacting young people especially and now again because this is with us everywhere um the game's changed yeah it's no longer we don't have to go back to the dorm to watch tv or out to the movies to watch a movie yeah you know um you know or even to get just bad like really really bad content so to speak it's everywhere yeah it's accessible 24 seven. And so, um, the thing I tell, you know, I I really try to challenge coaches. Number one, you got to educate yourself on a a lot of this stuff, really learn the statistics because they're out there, but, um, help educate the parents, but also, you know, create opportunities as many as you can as coaches. Um, when we pull, when we pull a phone away from our kid as a parent, we pull their social structure away from them, the majority of their social structure. When we pull the phone away from a kid on a team as a coach, we have left their team, their social structure is intact around them. And so we give them another option right away, which is really powerful and important for us as coaches who want to build our teams. So for more reasons than just pulling it yeah. away. I mean, but again, if the kid doesn't understand that, that's why they're going up. Your old fashioned and you you know, that's, again, when I, when I speak to coaching staffs or teams now, or even students, um, a huge part of my talk, my, my different talks are always at least addressing this issue right now, because I think it is such a, it's become such a big one. And it's impacting the hearts more than anything else in our society today.
0: Yeah. Um, now with all the social media i feel like today's society reads a lot less than they used to you know um and and i found out that at some point in your journey you wanted to read 500 leadership books um what did you get to 500 that's my first question did you get to 500 yes
2: i did i because i only because i started back in the mid 90s (laughs) so I was on a clip, you know, I figured it out when I started that journey. I was like, okay, that's a book a, a week for 10 years. And so I really started keeping up with that clip. But um, as I got older, and especially as I had kids, um, family grew, other priorities. I mean, I just could not read yeah. at that clip anymore. But I still read, um, you know, I still, I would say, I try to read, a you know, at least one or two books a month. Um, now and um, so I'm still reading it. At a, at a did did you have as you're reading
0: all those books? Did you have um, strategy of or how take notes on them so you could learn from them? Because that's something that I struggle with. I read a lot of books. I probably average about a book a week, but four weeks later I forget them it, unless I'm taking notes. You know? Um, yeah. Did you have any anything like that?
2: Yeah, I, I did. I used to. Um, you know, and they used to have, they, I'm sure they still do now, especially with the Kindle and stuff, but I'm up, I'm up. I got to have a hard book. I, I just, yes. I look at too many screens. So I, anytime I don't have to look at a screen, I don't. Yeah. But um, I used to, I would take the underlinings and then, you know, like mark the areas and sometimes put a little note by it. And then um I would have, you know, my assistant in a lot of cases, like basically go through the book and categorize them. So a lot of times, you know, sometimes I'd have them in categories where, okay, everything's on, that's on this put in here and this, you know, and just put it on build documents. There was software. to help you do that too. I've done, I've done that over the years. As of late, you know, probably the last eight, I mean, like really the last 10 years, um, I will go back over the the highlights um, from time to time. And um, there's times when I definitely will copy pages out of a book or something and, and put it in a file that I want to make sure that I'm referencing or something like that. Yeah. But I don't do as good a job of it as I used to. I don't, but well, I, I also, I've slowed down. Um, you know, it's, it's um, again, kind of like the, the friend, the relationship thing I was talking to you about earlier, I think, it's very easy to get in, fall into the trap of going a mile wide and an inch deep there too. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of the books, um, it's not to say that they're not good books, but I just, I really struggle um, because it's hard for me to read. I'm not a, I'm not a really good reader. Um, I, I, I tell people all the time, I, I really don't like to read. I love to learn. That's why I read. But I, I just like depth, deep thought you know, well thought through stuff. So yeah. um spiritually speaking, especially, I don't I gotta be careful how I say this. I want to make sure, you know, what I mean like there's a there's a rush to become relevant today. Yeah. yeah. And I I can appreciate that. But I think in a lot of cases we've done that at the expense of the of the depth of how the Holy Spirit works through our reading in scripture you know, time and prayer. And, um, you know, I mean, like when I read Oswald Chambers, um, or I read, you know, A.W. Tozer, or I mean, like some of these guys that you can just, you can tell that, that they spend the majority of their time in the Word. They're not reading the Wall Street Journal. They're not reading all these other periodicals to keep relevant. Yeah. They were just in the Word. And, again, I'm not saying anything bad about it because there's a place and a need for relevance for sure, but I, I miss sometimes the depth that I think our culture is craving. Um, and I think we're seeing the yeah. results of that in a lot of cases. Yeah. Shallow shallow faith that's when when the deep issues of culture come to the surface like they have so much in the last – few years especially the depth of wisdom and moving in the holy spirit and being able to walk in that small space that's kind of okay i I realize we need to love here but there's still truth here how can we walk in that balance of love and truth because there's both extremes that are really missing it from my standpoint and where i read in the gospels yeah my study of jesus there's there's too far extremes out there that you gotta be really, really careful with. Gotta be really careful with. Yeah. So,
0: it, uh, are there um, one or two books that you would recommend to a young Christian coach who's just starting on his journey? Obviously, besides your book, um, are there any books that stood, stand out to you that you'd be like, oh, if you're starting a coaching career right now, this is what you need?
2: Yeah, Inside Out Coaching is awesome. I mean, I love Joe Ehrman's. Joe stuff. Ehrman, yeah yeah he's and and even his story of him um season i think it's seasons alive to whatever that's a great great story too but um you know John Gordon uh writes great stuff you know um the carpenter training camp um those are two you know really good ones that he's uh, wrote one in the locker room i mean like he's yeah. he's great stuff um leadership and self- deception is more of a business book but it's a one of my top ten awesome just and it's a parable one of the few i n- never read fiction but that was one of the few fictions that i did read and loved it um you know i used to like a lot of ken blanchard stuff yeah peter drucker stuff because i a lot of business yeah. stuff so um yeah. you know but yeah those are those are a couple yeah one one thing i've
0: i've come to f- find out as i grow older and start coaching you know for more years is the importance of having feedback from the people that you lead you know i think uh, coaches and leaders always focus on giving feedback maybe sometimes they don't want to receive feedback and in the book the player named david comes to coach and really tells them what he thinks coach is doing right now and maybe the way he did it might have been really well I would have probably feel attacked first, you know, probably the same way that coach did in the book. But as the years gone by, I've started to realize how important it is to know what your the people you're leading feel about you and what they think of you. Is that what you're thinking when you wrote that part or, um, because I think it's just so important for not us to just give feedback, but also receive them constantly.
2: Yes. So, so true. And I think, you know, one of the main themes of the book and I I don't get this rarely, but once I say it, people kind of go back and they go, Hmm, that was kind of is self-awareness, you know, really trying to open our eyes because if you really think about uh, the biggest part of your frustration, most people's frustration for the first two thirds of the book is open your (laughs) eyes. coach, (laughs) You're so stupid. But at the same time, if your son wants to play basketball coach, (laughs) Uh, yeah but it's like we've all as a coach we've all been there blinded you know blind and we all have blind spots so there's no doubt that was I think that that was the tipping point of the story because you know for for a number of different reasons but I just think it's so important that we you know we're never gonna we're never gonna see all our blind spots without help it's just not gonna happen and so um you know, I I just, when again, once again, when I'm out speaking to staffs and, and teams, you know, that's one of the things that I'm talking about a lot. And especially with young coaches, I'm like, you know, understand that as soon as you get a little power, and, and I deal with a lot of football coaches and basketball guys, but football in particular, I mean, these are, these are hundred plus million dollar enterprises that these guys are running. And there's a lot of power. And on top of not only running this huge hundred million dollar, you got millions that are watching and want a piece of you and are praising you or wanting to stone you. you know what I mean, you know, So <laughs> the temptation, you know, and especially I tell coaches all the time, like this is the CEOs that I work with in um, business. And I, I work a lot with one, you know one-on-one CEOs and head coaches. And one of the things that we talk about is: look, the more your more success you have, the more challenging it's going to become. Because the reality is, the more you're right, the more you think you're right. Right? I mean, like, yeah. so if I win a national championship, yeah, correct. Hey, and somebody comes along that has it and says, "Well, you really should think about how you're treating that kid." They're gonna, yeah. I'm gonna walk away and go, "Well, you really should go get a championship ring and then talk to me." You know, because that's yeah. how you start to think. Because you have you have how many people around you going, oh, you're great, you're great. Give me advice, give me advice, give me advice. And the reality is, um, you know, we're, we have a lot of traps in our society that, that are false indicators of success. And, um, you know, followers on social media, wins, amount of money you have in the bank, the size of your house, the car you drive. Um, these things are not they are not true indicators of a real and again i should maybe give a disclaimer of it depends how you define success you may define success as driving a luxury car well then i guess if you get it you get it but the, i guess the way i classify that is those are not indicators of a wise person necessarily not saying there's not because there are wise people that have won yeah. but i can't tell you how many people that I know that have a lot of those things that I walk away from shaking my head going, wow, <laughs> the blind spots are so big and they don't want to know. Them, and they don't want anybody to tell them, because they're, they're continuing along that path and the path of destruction behind them and rela- relationships, misery. I mean, like, you know, there's so many other things in play, but so yeah, the, the self-awareness thing is a huge part of just where my heart is with coaches and, and business leaders alike right now. Cause I think it's, it's just so big.
0: Yeah. I think one of the, as I've become more self-aware of my blind spots a little, um, is that's, I, I always thought that if I wanted to be successful, I had to sacrifice other areas of my life, you know, it's like, oh, this coach is working 16 hours a week or 16 hours a day. I need to be in the office 16 hours a day. If not, there's no way I'm gonna beat this coach. Um, and I think still sometimes coaches in this and CEOs have. I just need to work harder and harder and harder. Forget my family. Forget time off. And um, is that is that what you see when you come to walk uh, to talk to companies and and sports programs?
2: There's no doubt that's a that's a big. It was funny because I had. I spoke just last night. There's a there's a group there's a, a group of MBA students that I that, that read through the book every year. Mm. In a certain leadership, they have a leadership sports class at at um, at Darden, and um, we were having the discussion on, you know, leaders that will specifically send an email out at 11:30 at night, and is that email. <laughs> because that person was bored or they were just really, or was there, was there an element of that of, you know, if I'm going to make sure that my email goes out at five 30, everybody knows I'm sending emails at five 30 in the morning.
0: Yeah.
2: And, and uh, you know, I, the stories that I have in athletic departments and businesses, and they're no difference. There's a, they're all the same of people turning lights on, you know, leaving early, but leaving their light on. So nobody knows they left. <laughs> I know people, and it, as crazy as it is, I will guarantee you, I will almost guarantee you that it's, that it's in your, cause it's in every, it's, it's in almost every office I've ever been in where there's people playing that game because so much of our, our identity in some, for some crazy reason in our culture has been built on, you know, if you don't, it's either you have a ton of money or you're proving people that you're working harder than anybody else so that you can get to that. I mean, it's, And, and it's in the, it's terrible in the coaching world, terrible in the business. I mean, like, and it's, you know, again, it's coming at the expense of families and, you know, a lot of more important, important relationships. And uh, it's a, it's a battle um, with everyone, but um, yeah, you're, you're right. It's, (laughs) it's a blind spot. And And I'll just tell you, like, I'm a recovering um, and sometimes fall back into it, um, you know, because I, I was brought up in a home, you know, family business, and, and we did. We we worked really hard, and we put in a ton of hours growing up, but that was what you did. That was a part of how you you showed that you cared about yeah. the company, and so I'm not advocating not working hard, Yeah. but I'm also saying... Okay. Do your work, get it done, and then go be with your family.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, Todd, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, I've learned so much. I've took so many notes. Um, we like to finish every episode with asking you, how can we be praying for you?
2: Oh wow! Thank you. That is that is awesome. Um, you know, I, just the whole journey that I've been on has been a very, very, very unique. When the book came out, I I, I mentioned to you, Gianna. I, I, it wasn't, I never intended to write it as a fiction parable. I had no clue that it was going to take me on the journey that it has, that this would be God's plan for it. So because of the way it came out, it's been very, very important to me that I just walk obediently. That's, that's been my prayer. So I honestly, I don't, you know, even this whole journey, um, I haven't done a good job of marketing. I haven't done a good job of Because what I said earlier on is I'm gonna just follow where I feel like I'm supposed to go, and what you know people read it, companies read it, a coach reads it, and they reach out. And so, uh, really, just been a huge ten years of steps of faith every year. And when COVID hit this year and all travel got shut down, all my sports teams, you know, I'm seventy percent of what I do or what what I did do was in the college sports world you know and now you know like that it was like oh uh, you can't even go speak to these teams now even if you wear a mask half the time you know it's like <laughs> some of these places they don't even want anybody outside on campus yet yeah so you know it's it's one of those times where you know you just you just uh continue to try to follow God's you know desire for you in, in the journey like all of us are and so my prayer is that I just uh, would continue to be obedient and the impact would go where it's supposed to go. So. Um, okay.
0: Let me, let me, let me close this Hopefully,
2: and... We will get one of these days. Hopefully we'll get back. Like I said, back to Liberty. I got, yeah. I got Richie McKay. Yeah. Hugh freeze. And I know a num- number of the baseball coach. I mean, like I got all these guys that I know the great, great fans of the book. I love these guys dearly. And I keep thinking, man, I got to get back to Liberty. Come on.
0: Yeah. No, that, uh, that's the athletics program. Yeah. The athletics program has uh, grown rapidly here in the last yes. few years. Yeah. Yes.
2: Yeah. So, so let, let love- us, yeah.
0: Let me close this out in
2: prayer real quick. That'd be awesome,
0: man. I'd love that. Dear Jesus. Thank you so much for Todd. Thank you for his leadership and all the opportunities that he has to, to share your message with people in the Christian community and in, in, uh, in the public and secular communities as well, Lord. Lord, I pray that you help him to continue to walk obediently, that he will seek you first every day to know um, what the next steps for his life, his career are going to be, Lord. Um, pray that he will, you will also open more doors for him to continue to um, to share your message, even in these COVID times, um, that that more people will be able to listen to him and his message um, that ultimately will be about you.
1: In your name I pray, amen. Amen. Wow, Gene, what an amazing interview with Todd Gong. We're uh, so thankful that he came on and, and shared with us. Um, we had a couple top takeaways, and one was definitely at the end of that conversation is he was talking about the balance between um, being a hard worker and, and balancing family life and just the identity that so many coaches have, and they just have to be working 100-hour weeks and just feel like, oh, I put in the work. Um, I know I wrestle and struggle with with that of um, the hours in the office versus being present at home. And uh, he really shed a, some light on on that. Um, and for sure, the, the social media, um, the music, the social media. And I know you just did a, a social media fast there at Liberty uh, for 40 days. You, what did you learn from your fast, Gene?
0: Chad, that was one of the best decisions I've, I've made here in 2020. Um, right in the middle of uh, election season, uh, being able to step back and not be consumed and just marinate in all the negativity and um, bad news that you know you you can be attracted to on a daily basis, and I was able to have more time to read, more time in solitude, um, more time to study my Bible, and more time with my family. Um, I lowered awesome. I lowered my intake of social media and even just phone consume uh, you know consuming by 50% just by taking away social media off my phone. Nice. Um, And so I feel much more refreshed. I even, when I came back, I deleted a bunch of people that they were not good for me in all of my social media accounts. Um, And I feel like now I have a little bit more healthier relationship with social media. Um, But I'm so thankful, so thankful for Todd. Um, Learned a lot. I'm gonna apply some of those lessons to my life right away. And coach, remember, the mission field is right where you're at.